started a series last week. It's called Volume Day. I threw out some Latin there for you. It means the ways of God or the way of God. And uh, this is basically what we're saying. We, we, we say around here as a church all the time that we exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples uh, through us here and around the world. And, and if I could add some words, I'm not going to, but if I could add some words, I want to clarify what surrender is really about. We exist to surrender to God and his ways and his will for our lives. That's what we mean, that we are to surrender to God's ways and God's will. He outlines his ways for us in his word. And today we're going to talk about his will. Has anybody ever started a sermon? I know you all preach on a regular basis, but has anybody ever started uh, preparing for a sermon and, uh, and uh, you were heading in a certain direction and then you start reading a book and you end up reading the whole book and that whole book totally uh, changes the direction of what you were gonna preach? I have. And that's what's happening here today. Uh, I think it's fitting, graduates, that we're talking about the will of God today because uh, you stand on the precipice of some new things in life. You're gonna be heading to college, right? Excited for that, right? Uh, you're gonna be making new friends, leaving old friends, uh, leaving your houses behind, uh, you know, going off on your own for the first time, most of you. And uh, it's an exciting time. Remember those? Who remembers those days? Anybody? So we have to really go back far, but uh, um, it's exciting when life brings opportunities. But it can also be kind of paralyzing. What am I supposed to do? Uh, who am I, you know, who am I supposed to hang out with? What, what, what are the next things for me? And we can uh, wonder about the will of God for our lives. Well, that's why we want to talk about it today. We understand that uh, when we make decisions, our decisions make us. We make our decisions and our decisions make us. All of us are the product uh, in part or mostly uh, from the decisions that we made. We've, we've kind of chosen and here we are. You're sitting next to him because he chose you and you chose him. Uh, you're hanging out here because somewhere along the line, God brought you to Brandon. Maybe you grew up here, but like most of us, you just got here after a while. You with me? Yeah, decisions shape us. And uh, understanding God's will and his hope for our decisions is what we want to talk about today. So this is going to kind of seem more book reportish, maybe than sermony, at least in the beginning, but we'll get to the things that God wants us to get to, I trust, as we go through. The will of God is traditionally presented in three ways. Can I just launch? Here it comes. There's three uh, traditional understandings of the will of God. I'm going to list them out here pretty fast. The first one is uh, that there's a sovereign will of God, a sovereign will of God. It's the overarching story of God's master plan for all of existence. Uh, it's his way or his, his uh, determinations of bringing glory to himself and bringing good to those who are beneath him and, and who uh, serve him and to everybody. Uh, it's sovereign will, the overarching plan. Uh, the, the moral will of God is something else that we need to understand and talk about. The moral will of God is the, the will of God that is uh, given to us that helps us understand how he wants us to live. It's all the statutes and commandments and principles that we glean from Scripture. This is how God wants things to go. It's, it's how he's designed things so that our lives can flourish. The last part of the will of God that is traditionally talked about is the individual will of God. And that's that, that perfect plan for your life. I got a, a graduation announcement from one of our seniors this past week, um, and on it they had uh, chosen, which I uh, esteem, and I, I'm, I'm glad that they did, they chose to put a verse on their graduation announcement that they sent to all their family and friends. It's in Jeremiah. It says, anybody know this one? I know the plans I have for you, right? The plans, uh, you know, that are, are for, your, for your good, for your prosperity, the ways that God is, is going to lead you into all these things. What they're referring to 
uh, and what people have traditionally understood that verse to mean is that God has this specific tightrope kind of plan for our lives, that we're supposed to kind of walk this, you know, specific plan out, uh, and, and, and it's your plan or my plan. It's individual. The moral will is more general in nature, and the individual will is your specific blueprint for life. Well, I read this book, like I told you, it's called uh, Decision Making and the Will of God, if you want to pick it up and read it. It's by a guy named Gary Friesen. It's on Amazon, like everything else in the world. And uh, uh, I'm going to kind of share with you some of the things that I learned from that and from my time in Scripture this week as we move forward. So let's talk about those three areas of the will of God. First of all, the sovereign will of God. When you think of the sovereign will of God, uh, think these things. The sovereign will of God is detailed. It's, it's a hidden plan, though, uh, for all of the uni- universe uh, to, that God has put in place to glorify himself. It's ultimately what happens in life. If you want to know the sovereign will of God, read the history books. Because those are the things that God ordained or allowed or purposed in his sovereign will uh, to shape the narrative of our existence. Uh, It cannot be missed. It includes both good and evil. Good, you stayed. Okay, and then, uh, and it can't be seen before it happens. We we can only reflect on the sovereign will of God once it's passed. So, so let me just expand on that. The first thing about the God's sovereign will is that God's sovereign will is certain. It cannot be thwarted. It cannot be missed. God never has that day where he feels out of control. God never has those moments where he's like, oh, I don't know what to do next. God never has any instances in his life where he's surprised because he is sovereign. Last week we talked about this from Psalm uh, uh, the book of Psalms 139, we, we said that uh, uh, the Lord is uh, omniscient. He knows all things, right? He, he's omnipresent. He's every place. That's why he knows all things. He's everywhere at once. And he's omnipotent. He can do all things. And because he's God, there, there's just nothing that escapes him. In fact, everything that happens is according to his will. Now, we might think that we have freedoms, and, and, and this is one of the mysteries that we have in, in, in our relationship with God, is that we, we seemingly have freedoms. You and I have the freedom to sin. Has anybody here sinned lately? Okay, that was a lie because you didn't put your hand up. So there's your sin if you haven't thought that you've sinned lately. Um, yeah, everybody sins. And, and uh, while we believe that God is allowing us to sin, he's over those sins, he or, you know, he, his sovereign will includes our mistakes and our mishaps and our our, our, our missteps away from him. Um, we, we try to put together his sovereignty with our choice, and it's one of the mysteries. I still don't get it. If you ever figure it out, email me. I would love to have that down. Uh, but ultimately, just because we sin, and just because we fail, it doesn't make it any less uh, the fact that God is, his, his will is sovereign and his will is certain. I kind of liken it to the, to the hamster balls. Anybody ever had a hamster? Anybody? They're wretched animals. Anyway, uh, my little girl, when we first moved here, way, way back in the middle 2000s, she wanted a hamster. So we bought her a hamster. It was kind of our, uh, you know, hey, we moved you from all your friends to a place called Florida. Here's a hamster. Anyway, uh, <laughs> she, uh, she loved that hamster. And we got her one of those hamster balls. Embarrassing. It's basically this plastic sphere, and you put the hamster inside the sphere, and it just kind of runs around your house inside the sphere. It just kind of moves the spear, you know, and it's, it is kind of fun. The first five, ten minutes you're watching, it's like, oh, look, that little animal's moving that thing. 
Uh, he got out of, you want to know how the hamster died? He got out of his hamster ball. We, we still think he's in the walls somewhere at that house. But uh, uh, the hamster can think, man, I'm free. Look at me tooling all around the living room here. I'm just going wherever I want. Is the hamster really free? No, he's inside the ball. It's like taking your dog for a walk. Your dog might think, look at me, I'm out here walking all over the place. But he's on the end of a leash, right? He's free. And in the same sense, because of the sovereign will of God, we are free. I don't fully understand it, but that's as far as I can get. Uh, God's sovereign will is not just certain, it's detailed. It's detailed. I'm a whatever guy. Is anybody here a whatever guy? What do you want to do? Whatever. What do you want on your pizza? Whatever. Well, wait, no vegetables. But after that, whatever, right? <laughs> uh, most of us are kind of whatever, whatever. Uh, but some of us, I won't point fingers, are more detailed in nature. Uh, you got to have things just so. And you know what's coming up. And you remember dates. And you, you have that special ability. Uh, in that way, you are more akin uh, to the nature and characteristics of our God than maybe some of the rest of us because God's in the details. God's numbered the hairs on your head, or if they're gone, he knows other things about you. But he's in the details. He understands on levels that we, we don't. And because he's in the details, here, here's some of the words that Christians don't have in their vocabulary. That was lucky. There's no such thing as luck. It just isn't a thing. There's God's sovereign will, and you are subject to it. There's no such thing as coincidence. Well, that was a dink, right? It may be a coincidence for you. You may not have seen it coming, but there's no such thing as coincidence with a sovereign God. His sovereign will is certain. His sovereign will is detailed, and his sovereign will is hidden. Here's why. You and I have past and present. That's what we've got. We can reflect on our past. We can live in our present but guess what? I don't know how this sermon's gonna end yet. I mean, I got notes, you know, but between now and, you know, 10, 15 when we get out of here, just kidding, we'll get out of the but, but, you know, between now and when we're done, I, 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 I don't even know what's gonna tumble out of my mouth later. Last week I said, uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> that was only this service, by the way. Anyway, uh, but that's us. We got past, we got present, but guess what? God's got all of it. He's got past, present, and future. And he, he chooses, for the most part, to keep the future hidden from us. And the only cases that I know from Scripture that he doesn't keep the future hidden from us, they're called prophecies, right? So in the Old Testament, when the Old Testament prophets were speaking of Jesus, or it's Isaiah 53 or a myriad of other places, uh, these prophets were foretelling of the coming of God's Son so that we could be redeemed, redeemed through his sacrifice and uh, anybody grateful for that? I'm grateful for that. Uh, and so those prophecies are kind of little peaks around the corner for us, like Revelation. I'm not going to go into all that. I preached a series on that. Still can't believe I did. But, uh, uh, but Revelation is this, the end of your Bi or Bibles, and it basically points to how things are going to end in the end. We don't have a complete, accurate picture. There's lots of debate. But at least it kind of says, hey, here in general, the ways things are going to come, it's prophecy, and it's, it's just these, these very few instances where we get this picture of what's going to happen. Uh, but for the most part, God's sovereign will is, is a mystery. Isaiah wrote this in a, uh, chapter 55, verse 8 of his book. He says, for, 
This is God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. You're just not going to understand everything about me. If we understood everything about God, does he cease to be God? Just so you know, yeah, he becomes finite rather than infinite. If you can know everything about something, it's not deity. But we don't know everything about God. There's mystery there. Our future is what he holds. In fact, Paul kind of you know, admits to this as he's writing to his friends in Corinth. He usually ends his letters, if you ever notice this about Paul in the New Testament. He, he basically talks about some doctrines, some things that needs to change. And then in the end, he just kind of says, hey, and say hi to Tim, and, you know, and all these different things. Well, he's talking to uh, the Corinthians, and he's, he's telling them of, of his plans. He says, I, I will visit you. That's, that's pretty emphatic. After passing through Macedonia, these are his plans. But then he gets kind of vague. For I intend... Not sure it's going to happen, but I intend to pass through Macedonia. Anybody got plans to travel somewhere this summer? You know what your plans are? Intentions. Anybody ever had some intentions or some plans that didn't quite work out like you thought? Well, it's because you're not sovereign, and you are subject to the sovereign will of God. She even uses these kind of vaguer words. I perhaps will stay with you or even spend the winter. I don't know. Maybe I'll even get to stay this and spend the winter, but I don't know so that you may help, help me on my journey. And then he, he doesn't even know where he's going. Wherever that is. <laughs> he finishes up and he says this, for I do not want to see you uh, now just in passing. My hope is that I'll get to hang out for a while. I hope to spend some time with you. And then he says the phrase that all of us should say in response to the sovereign will of God. You know what the phrase is? Say it with me. If the Lord permits. Yeah, James picks up this idea in his book. In James chapter four, James talks about the fact that, you know, businessmen, Jewish businessmen would say, oh, we're going to go to this city for this amount of time, a year's time, and we're going to make this kind of money, and, and that's our business plan. We, we have, and listen, goals and plans are all great. I'm not saying that we should be goalless. I'm not saying that seniors should just, well, we'll see. But we should understand that every plan we make is subject to the sovereign will of God, that he's in charge, not us. James says, you guys, you don't understand, we're just, we're vapors. He calls us vapors. We're like, tss, tss. we're just this disseminating mist. We don't have true form. We don't have true control. And James says, we should say, if God wills. Paul says, if the Lord permits, these are proper uh, anticipations of our future because it's hidden. We don't know what's going to happen. Some of you might be asking, well, if God's in sovereign control, why do so many bad things happen? Another school gets shot up on Friday. War ravaging all throughout the world. My life, I got the diagnosis I didn't want. My loved one got the diagnosis I didn't want. I don't have the money that I want. I don't have anything that I want. If God's in control, why is my life so hard. Now, I don't have time to go super in-depth with this, but can we uh, at least accept that because God's in control, he's in control of all the good stuff and even all the bad stuff? Here's what it tells us in Romans. It tells us that uh, God is working together all things for the good of those who love him, right? And so all things are under his control. And some of the bad things he has purposed for thousands of years for our good. See the crucifixion. Did you know that the moment after the first man and woman sinned, God uh, foretold 
of the crucifixion because he was handing out his judgments to the Satan, uh, Satan who was the snake who came in and you know, drew the man and the woman off sides and that's how they you know, got sucked into sin. But he, he's saying to the Satan, listen, uh, as he's giving him his, his punishments, he says, and let me, let me just let you know how this is gonna turn out, Satan. This woman who I'm throwing out of the garden, she, she's gonna have a, a descendant. Someone, one will come from her and you will seek uh, to, to, to end him You'll bite at his heel is actually how Genesis phrases it. But then he says, but he will crush your head. I mean, sin is not very old. And God is already talking about the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. You read through the rest of the Old Testament, several, hundreds of, of, of pointings to the coming of Christ. But here's what you need to understand about the crucifixion of Christ. We, we see the bright side of the crucifixion. Salvation, grace, Forgiveness, yay, right? But do you understand that the crucifixion was the most evil moment in all of human history? Because a holy God, God the Son, was unjustly convicted of sins he never committed. He was beaten, ravaged, and then crucified. There has been no greater atrocity. I mean, we could talk about all the horrible things that have happened, but that if we put it on scale, is the greatest sin experience event in all of history, the death of the Son of God. But for thousands of years, God has appointed this horrible thing. Why? Because it was the only thing, according to his sovereign will, that would bring us life. And so he allows hard things. He appoints hard things for the sake of the good that can come from them. I had to kind of give you a picture of the sovereign will of God, it's this one. And some of you are like, oh no, it's inside, you got an umbrella open. See my point just previous, there's no such thing as luck. Is everybody with me on this? Send me the black cats, let's do it, you know? There's no such thing as luck. I'd, I'd walk under a ladder right now if I could. But this is the sovereign will of God. It's the overarching, mostly unseen story of how God is planning things to work out. You, all of us are under the umbrella of the sovereign will of God. Now let's talk about the moral will of God. The moral will of God <clears throat> is the general revealed plan uh, that God has given to all humanity to glorify himself through the obedience of humanity to his commands and his statutes. It can be known. Where the sovereign will of God can't fully be known, the moral will of God can be known. It should be known. And it should be adhered to but it's all too often disregarded. Anybody here ever committed a trespass or a sin? Yeah, you knowingly knew the moral will of God, you knew what he commanded in a certain area and you just said, no thanks. That's not how God intends for his moral will to be uh, lived out in life, but it's often how it occurs. Uh, the moral will of God is revealed to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the pages of our scriptures. And he speaks to the general ways that people should go. Uh, this is what Paul was writing to the Colossians in chapter one of that book. He says, and so from the day that we heard, uh, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul often talks about how much he's praying for his churches when he writes to them. We will not cease praying for you. This is what we pray. We've been asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see what he said there? He talked about the moral will of God. We've prayed that you'll, you'll, you'll understand God's will for your life, not the specific tightrope individual will for your, your life, but that you would understand 
with all spiritual wisdom and understanding the things that God would have for you. Graduates, that's my hope for you, is that you'll understand everything that God has for you in life and that you'll stick with it. That's my prayer for you as well. It's kind of this picture of a, of a hula hoop. Uh, this is how it's been explained to me a lot of times. The moral will of God is kind of like the out-of-bounds lines on a soccer field or a football field or a basketball court. Uh, this is where you're supposed to stay. These are the things that God has given us so that we would uh, flourish in life and have the very best life in existence with him. It's when we trespass and cross the line and get outside of God's moral will that things, well, kind of go skawonk. So the moral will of God is us staying within the lines, us doing what he's called us to do. So things like this. I don't specifically know if you're going to get married out there if you're single. I don't know who you're going to marry, but here's the moral will of God. If you're a Christian, it is God's will for you to marry another Christian. It is God's will for you not to be unequally yoked. And so I don't, I don't have to meet your you know, you know, fiancé or whoever you're dating, but I can ask you one question. I can tell you if it's supposed to go anywhere. Does that person believe in Jesus Christ like you do? If they don't, sorry. He may feel like the one, but he's not the one because the moral will of God would dictate that you go in this direction. Listen, uh, I don't know who you give to or who you give your time to, who you serve, where you serve. If you serve here in our church, thank you so much for doing that. I trust you're serving in a place where God is fulfilling uh, you and, and, and he's using your gifts and stuff like that. But whether you give uh, in this place or that place, whether you serve in this place or that place, I know that everybody's supposed to give and serve. The scripture speaks to that all over the place. It's in the one another's. We're, we're supposed to make a difference in each other's lives. And so wherever it is, so be it. But it should be happen, happening. Let's talk about the biggies in the moral or general will of God. Here's the biggies. What are the biggies in the moral will of God? The first one is, is it's God's will that everybody should be saved. He, he wants people to find and follow Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here this morning, you're kind of, you know, first day, you came because your cousin's graduating or something like that. This is step one in the will of God for you in your life. Find Jesus, know Jesus, and put your faith in him. First Timothy, Paul says this, he says, Hey, Tim, this is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. Peter writes this in his uh, epistle. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The biggie and the biggies of the moral will of God is that people would know and follow Jesus. Once people know and follow Jesus, it's God's will that they would live a life that's spirit-filled. It says in Ephesians 5, uh, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Ooh, what is the will of the Lord? Well, for everybody who was at Ebor last night, it's not to get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, and we laugh and giggle, but please, if you're a drunkard, can you stop? That's not the will of God for your life. What is the will of God for my life? That I be filled with the Spirit, that God's Holy Spirit would indwell my thoughts, that he would indwell my actions, that he would point me in the directions that he would want me to go. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be willing to be the answer to the prayer. Lord, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. I'd be willing to be that answer to the prayer as I submit to the Holy Spirit in my life. The third thing that we see in the moral will of God is that uh, God's, it's God's will for us to be sanctified. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and says, for this is the will of God, 
your sanctification. He goes on and talks about how sexually we need to be able to be uh, pure and righteous in how we handle our bodies. But his point in all of his writings to the Thessalonians is that sanctification, what's sanctification? Sanctification is us being separated from the world and its views and its values and its wisdom and being uh, bound to and submitted to the wisdom of God. It's God's will for you and I to be sanctified. I pray that's why you're hanging out here on Sunday mornings because you want to figure out what God wants for your life and then you want to choose it. In doing so, you are in your sanctification process. You're becoming less like you were and more like Jesus. It's God's will that we suffer. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. It's God's will that we be submissive. Can I go, we'll get to the, everybody's excited to hear about the suffering, right? It's God's will that we be submissive. It's God's desire that we submit ourselves to him. That's why we talk about surrender around here so much. First Peter, uh, he's talking about submission here when he says be subject for the Lord's sake to every, speaking about governments, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor is supreme or to the governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. He goes on and he says, for this is the will of God, submission, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Submission is the command of God. Uh, us, us being submitted to our government authorities, us being submitted to our bosses at work, us being submitted to our parents, that's one of the big 10, honor your father and mother. There's, there's, there's just a, 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 an undercurrent of submission in this whole following God thing. It's his will that we would submit one to another. Finally, everybody ready? It's God's will that we suffer. You're not gonna hear a lot of sermons on <laughs> Let's suffer. It's, isn't it great that we get to suffer? Uh, most of the time when people come to church, they're trying to find solution, escape. They, they want to be free of the suffering that is a part of life. But can we just accept at least today, no, not just today, for always, that suffering is a part of God's overarching plan. The Bible talks about it in lots of places, but I'll just show you this one in First Peter. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The implication there, even while you're suffering, you're doing good. Even while you're suffering, you're trusting the creator. But <laughs> the given in this geometry problem is that Christians are gonna suffer. There's a, a gospel out there right now called the prosperity gospel that doesn't teach this. It actually says that if you're suffering, you must be in sin because God doesn't want any Christian or anybody who follows him to suffer. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because it's in suffering that we identify with Christ. It says as much in Romans chapter eight, verses 16 and 17, I'll read them to you. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children, oh, they're right there, that we are children of God. And if children then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, this is conditional, provided, that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's just a, it's a given. If you're gonna follow Jesus, it's not a free skate. Anybody notice that in life? In fact, if you read the Bible, most of the people who started following Jesus, things got worse. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that we could still have joy in the midst of suffering and God hopes us to do that. He says in James, count it all joy when you experience trials, right? God's gonna use things to make you stronger, to prepare you for what's coming next. I mean, he is in the difficult. 
And he wants to bring good from the hard stuff of life. The disciples understood that. That's why a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, we, we talked about when they were preaching in Jerusalem and they got thrown in jail, remember that? And the, and the night that they were thrown in jail, an angel comes to the jail and he opens the door and these disciples are let free. Remember what the angel's instructions were to them? Hey, same time tomorrow morning, right? Preaching in the temple courts, I'll see you there. And these disciples who had just been imprisoned for talking about Jesus said, we're on it. And the next morning, don't miss this, their trial is about to begin. They aren't in their jail cell. They're back in the temple courts preaching the gospel that got them in the jail cell. And that's where the bailiff found them. Hey, guys, your court uh, sessions, can, can, I mean, just put a hold. Put a cork in the whole sharing Jesus thing. Come on. And they go in, and, and they basically have this confrontation with the ruling party uh, of the muckety-mucks of the Jew, uh, Jewish uh, culture in Jerusalem. And uh, they say, listen, uh, we're not responsible to follow you, we're responsible to follow God. We're, we're gonna disobey you and we're gonna honor God. We're, we're not gonna stop talking about Jesus. And, the, and the, the council wanted to kill him. And this one wise guy named Gamaliel says, hey, no, 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 don't, don't kill these guys. There will be riots in the streets. You'll be next. No, just whip them. And it's just this one little sentence in the story. Just whip them. But we don't understand that if, if, if a, a, a whipping was uh, given down as a sentence or as a, a punishment, it meant that people weren't just getting a couple, you know, tap taps. It was 39 lashes, just like Jesus had. 40 would kill you, and so the Romans stopped at 39. And every one of those disciples who was in the jail cell took the 39. And you know what it says in, in Acts chapter 5, verse 41? They all rejoiced to be counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now oh, listen, I'm not saying that your suffering isn't hard. I'm not saying that there's not gonna be dark days. I'm not saying you gotta wear a smile through the whole thing. But I am saying we should get over the fact that you know, God has abandoned me or God's not in this. God allows, even purposes, some of the suffering in our life because it is his will for those who follow him to experience suffering. It's for our good that we go through hard things. Suffering's a part of his moral will. Now, with the time I have left, which isn't much, let me talk about this individual will of God. Those first two, the sovereign will of God, the moral will of God, the umbrella and the hula hoop, pretty sure of those. Those are evidenced in Scripture. It's very clear. You know what's not so clear in Scripture? Is this tightrope, this specific will, this individual will that God has for us. Now, that's where this book kind of messed me up. <laughs> So I'm going to just, I'm, I'm still in the middle of this. I haven't uh, swung all the way over to thinking that there's not a specific or individual will for us, but I am kind of more open to the idea that maybe there's certain things in life that God just says, you know what, in wisdom, choose. And don't worry so much about the things uh, that you're worried about in finding my specific will. God's individual will is the detailed, and traditionally speaking, is the de- detailed revealed plan for an individual to glorify God in every decision of their life. According to the traditional view, it can and should be known and adhered to, but oftentimes it isn't. We call that sin. It's the best path of one's life, and it must be discerned before decisions are made. I've got to know that this is, you know, there's three doors, and God, you've got to choose one for me before I go through. It points to the specific ways that we should go. If the moral will of God says, make sure you don't marry someone who isn't a Christian, the specific will of God says, Mary Jenny, she's going to be in your third period chemistry class when you get to college. If the moral will of God is the hula hoop, the specific will of God is this quarter. 
It's the bullseye. You got to hit the dot. Got to make sure you're in step with God's specific will for your life. I, I believe that. I, I, I believe that there is a, a plan. I don't believe that God's just kind of thrown us into the cosmos and said, good luck. He doesn't believe in luck. But I think sometimes we allow this specific will of God to paralyze us in moving forward. Let me tell you why. First of all, a couple problems with the individual will of God. We reserve it for the biggies, but we don't use it in the little stuff. Like how many of you prayed before you sat down this morning? Lord, lead me to the seat that you would have me sit in today. No, most of you went to your seat. You're the, hey, you're there again. Look at you. That's where you always sit, right? Oh, yeah, you sit right there. Fred and Eileen, it's good to see you again. That's your chairs, right? Just what we do. How many of you got on your knees in your closet and said, Lord, lead me to the shirt, lead me to the shirt that I am to wear today? Father, please. And now listen, I don't, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but here, I'm just trying to prove a point. In most of the decisions, and we make thousands of them every day, in most of the decisions that you and I make, we fall back on wisdom. You know, like uh, you're driving your car, wisdom would say, yeah, I know, you know, the light's turning yellow, and uh, the other car's coming at 70 miles an hour, maybe t- now's not the right time to turn. And prayerfully, you don't turn. But you didn't in that moment say, Lord, the car's coming, it's yellow, what do you think? You just functioned, you operated. That's one of the problems with specific will. We're choosy about where we want to apply it. Another problem is that the, the, the specific will of God can kind of be an, an inhibitor into us just moving freely in life. Like, sometimes, listen, and, and let me just kind of narrow it down to these cases. When, when it's obviously that, that something is outside the will of God, it's not God's choice for you. If it's sin, don't do it. And don't talk yourself into doing it because, well, maybe God's going to use this sin in my life to bring about a greater good. Stop that. <laughs> if it's sin, don't do it. It's easy. That's, like, that's the easy part of the will of God. If it's outside of his will, moral will, you just don't do it. It's off the list of options. But then sometimes you come into life, like graduates sometimes. They get accepted to several different schools or they have several different options of what they can do in this next phase of their life. And they sit there and they pray correctly. They pray, God, lead me to the best one. But guess what? There might be uh, uh, you know, two or three best or, or, or good options. And people just like, oh, paralysis by analysis. Which one is it, Lord? And you know what God's probably doing? He's like, hey, pick one, buddy. It's the same thing that he did. If I could throw this up there because I'm running out of time. It's the same thing he did in the garden. Remember, one of the first commands that God said uh, to Adam and Eve, he says, okay, tend my garden, keep my garden. And then he says, in the very next verses, the Lord came and he commanded the man and he said, listen, you may surely eat of how many trees? All of them. You like mangoes? Eat mangoes. How many of you prayed before, not before your dinner because you wanted to thank God for it, but how many of you prayed before you started preparing your dinner last night? Lord, pork chops or chicken? Most of us didn't do that. It's because God trusts us in in our wisdom and our understanding of him to make good choices in life, and and he gives us options. He comes to Adam and Eve, he says, hey, pick from any of the trees, but here's my moral will. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of. And the day that you do that, you shall surely die. Hula hoop. Hula hoop around that tree. Don't touch that one. But guess what? In all of the other things that are not outside of the moral will of God, you have a choice. So let me just make some quick points because this is a long book. If I can just skip down to the points of uh, 
Uh, God grants us freedom with responsibility. This is kind of where I'm heading. I think it's how we all function in, in most of our lives. But listen, God wants us to know him intimately. He wants us to have his wisdom, and he wants us to live by his wisdom. And he, he has given us his wisdom so that when we come to the choices of our lives, we have the freedom to choose and we have the responsibility to choose what he would have in his wisdom. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm there. Don't be yoked again to a yoke of slavery. He's referring to Judaism and all the Jewishness that was going on in the early church. But in verse 13 of that book, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Not only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't go outside the hula hoop, all right? Uh, but through love, serve one another. That's one of the commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as you love yourself. That's, that's in the list, right? Serve one another. That's in the list. Use your freedom to stay within the hula hoop. For the whole law is fulfilled in this word, word uh, one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. St. Augustine put it this way, and I'll let you go. St. Augustine said, love God and do whatever you please. Everybody hear that? Love God and do whatever you please. Do whatever you please, Mark. That is not Christian. Well, I, you didn't read the first part. Love God. Choose God. Choose the hula hoop. Honor God. And then in life, guess what? There's freedom. Graduates, as long as you have the responsibility to choose well, you have the freedom to choose whatever God would have you choose. Love God and do whatever you want. God most often leads us to his will as we walk in his wisdom. God most often leads us to his will as we walk in his wisdom. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing that out as, as my final statement because here's where I am in the conversation on the individual will of God. I think every once in a while, uh, God works outside of wisdom and has us do things that we can't really explain, but it's just the promptings of his spirit, right? And we go and do those things, and in the end, we could see after the story unfolds why we did those things. Like I was reading this book that this guy was writing, and one night he was driving home, and he felt that he was supposed to pull over on the side of the road and pray for five or ten minutes. And so uh, under that impression from the Holy Spirit, he did. He stopped, and he prayed. And as he came over the next hill, to, as he was driving home, uh, he saw in the darkness this, this light that was waving back and forth. And so seeing that light, he stopped, slowed down to see what was going on. It was actually a kid from his life group. He was doing a Sunday school life group the next morning. His kid, this kid had hit a cow. The cow had, had disabled his car to the point that no lights could work on the car. And the car was situated in the middle of this road, just over this big hump as people would be coming down there. And so they figured out that for the five or 10 minutes that the author of this book on the will of God <laughs> was praying on the side of the road, this kid had wandered over to this farmhouse and asked them for a lantern so that he could stand out in front of his disabled car and be able to wave this light in case other cars came. And that's what has happened. God built in that time. Now, I, I, that's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say, hey, if there's a car that hits a cow on the road up in front of you, Pull over to the side of the road for five or 10 minutes so the driver can get a lantern. That's not in your Bibles. But that is in the power of the Holy Spirit to do. So here's the deal. While I think it is possible, this is what I'll say to some of us who maybe grew up in other traditions, I don't think it's normative. And I certainly don't think your impressions trump the wisdom of God. Your spiritual impressions should always be in line with the moral wisdom of God, the moral will of God. And so if someone comes to you and says, you know what, the Lord told me, the Lord told me I've got to start robbing 7-Elevens because of the building fund, right? 
Well, no, you get to say no, brother. Like the first, the first year I was here, a, a guy came up to me and he said, you know, when we had our first building fund, I felt like God told me to charge $20,000 to my credit card and give it to the building fund. And, and I, who, who hears that and says, what? Because, and listen, I'm not, whatever. I, I think wisdom should always govern choices. Even if they seem like they're righteous and right and, and will honor God, we need to allow wisdom to be the filter so I won't, I won't say that every choice is free game. I think God has some form of tightrope and that he has certainly a plan that he is working out in his sovereign will for every one of us here. But I do want to free you up. If you're in the middle of making a choice in lots of great areas, just pick one. Do your best. But don't on this side have anxiety. And then, listen, you've got to hear this. This is so important. Don't on this side, if your choice didn't work out, assume that you missed the sovereign specific will of God for your life. Because God may have led you into those woods to teach you things you would never learn outside of them. God may have allowed those things to happen in your life because it was perfect in that time for you to have those hard times so that you become who you are in Christ today. So many people think, man, God would never have me go through hurt. Of course he'd have you go through hurt. He loves you, and he knows that you're not going to learn things. Everything is big and rosy. The specific, say it another way, the specific will of God is not a cakewalk. It's not just a freebie, and if you fall into difficulty, if you, you know, make a wrong choice, you are obviously outside of God's will. I don't believe that. Hopefully that encourages you to understand that the sovereign will of God is for our good and his glory. I'm out of time, let me pray. Hey Lord, thanks so much for a chance to talk about this amazing area. Can't possibly be condensed into 40 minutes of preaching. Uh, but thanks God, first of all, for your sovereign will. I appreciate, Lord, that you're in control of all things. And even when I feel out of control, you are working behind the scenes for your glory and my good. I accept that and believe that with all my heart. God, help us all to live within your moral will. Keep us in the hula hoop, especially our graduates. May we know and understand what your purposes are for us from your word, and may we run every decision that we make in life through those, knowing that that's what's going to give us flourishing in life. God, even when your individual will for us presents options, help us to just choose wisely. And then if things don't work out in our lives, can we stop blaming you for not giving us everything good? May we be willing to accept, God, that you might lead us into hard things so that we can learn what we need to learn in those moments. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Congratulations one more time to our graduates. Have a great week. And blessings on you as you go.